Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today I want to speak to you about the prophet Amos. We heard from Amos last week in our first reading, and we hear from him again in the first reading this week. Amos is not one of the better-known prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. He's one of the minor prophets, meaning simply that his book is shorter than the other ones. But Amos is a very important figure. He is, historically speaking, the oldest of these written prophets in the Bible. He flourished in the 8th century B.C. So I'd say a couple centuries after King David, but a couple centuries before Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And as I say, he's the first, he's the earliest of the prophets we have written in the Bible. We know almost nothing about him personally. There's only one little brief passage. One of the priests had challenged Amos. The prophets are always saying disturbing things, and the priests had challenged him. Amos replies, listen, I was no prophet, nor have I belonged to a company of prophets. I was a shepherd and a dresser of sycamores. See, what he's saying is, look, I, I wasn't a priest. I'm not from a religious family. I wasn't formally trained in this religious business. I was a, a keeper of sycamores, a shepherd. That means I was an ordinary working stiff, we would say, an ordinary working man. And I, I suddenly got this call from God, the prophetic call to speak God's saving and challenging word. What were these prophets about? Who were they? What was their story? You know, Karl Jaspers, the great German philosopher, made the connection long ago between the philosophers who arose in Greece and the prophets who arose in Israel. You know what they have in common? Both the philosophers in Greece and the prophets in Israel are very critical of the received religions of their time. The philosophers did it with their rational language. They critiqued the mythologies of their time. And the prophets of Israel did it, not so much with philosophical language, but they did it with this fiery language that came, they claimed, right from God. Thus says the Lord. And they spoke against the religious, political, and power establishment of the time. Friends, how revolutionary this is. You know, in, in most of, of recorded history prior to this point, you have praise of the government, praise of the king, praise of the social establishment. That's what, those were the writers who were approved. The idea of the court theologian is a very old one. What I mean is some religious figure who will justify the ways of the king, who will justify the ways of the ruling class. Then there are people like this, and Amos is the first one we know about, the first one whose book we have. Strangely, within the religious tradition itself, 
comes this voice, which is sharply critical of the establishment, sharply critical of the king, sharply critical of the ruling class. How strange that is. How surprising it is. What's Amos's focus more precisely? What's the focus of his criticism? He critiques social injustice. And again, how influential, how revolutionary this becomes. Here's what Amos intuits. He intuits that the heart of the law, so the law of Yahweh, going back to the book of of Exodus and Leviticus and so on, the law comes down to our compassion for the poor, the neglected, the widow, the orphan, and the needy. How do we, as a people, love the neediest members of our society? That's the test. That's the criterion. That's what it all comes down to, what it's all judged by. Amos intuited that everything else in the law, I mean liturgy, I mean ritual, I mean social practice, all of it, is meant to lead us to this point where we become better at caring for the neediest among us. Well, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. And it comes roaring up right to the present day whenever somebody perceives that the heart of religion is compassion. They're standing in the tradition that goes right back to this figure of Amos. What does it lead him to do, this deep intuition about social justice? Oh, it leads him to criticize the power establishment. It leads him to say some very harsh things about those whose lives in some ways perpetuate social injustice, those who are indifferent to the suffering among us. It makes Amos a very unlikely diplomat. (laughs) One thing you'll never find in Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, in any of these figures, is a diplomatic sensibility. Uh Uh-uh. They are seized with this deep, unconditioned passion to set things right. And it leads them to say very strong things. Listen to this now from Amos, critiquing the wealthy women of Samaria. Listen to him. Hear this, women of the mountain of Samaria, you cows, you who oppress the weak and abuse the needy, who say to your lords, bring drinks to us. Truly the days are coming when they will drag you away with hooks and the last of you with fish hooks. (laughs) How about that? How about that? That's language right from the beginning, the fountainhead of this prophetic tradition. You cows. He's not trying to win friends and influence people, is he? He's calling a spade a spade. He's laying it on the line because of his passion for the poor and for the needy and for the homeless and the neglected. That's where it starts. You know, I find this fascinating. If you go back to those Greek philosophers, you're not going to find this kind of language. You know, Aristotle might say, yeah, it's good to be magnanimous when you can. I mean, he'll tell the wealthy people in his time, sure, from time to time, give something to the poor, but he'll never make it the center of the enterprise 
the way Amos does. Whenever, Christians, we feel in our bones that this is what the religious life is about, this is what the moral life is about, we are showing that we've been influenced by this prophetic tradition. Listen to this now from last week, from the reading last week from Amos, critiquing crooked business practices. You will fix your scales for cheating. You will buy the lowly man with silver and the poor man with a pair of sandals. But the Lord has sworn, never will I forget anything you've done. That's strong stuff, isn't it? These are the wealthy people that take advantage of the poor for their own, their own wealth. Fix your scales for cheating. Buy the lowly man for silver, the poor man for a pair of sandals. But God sees everything, and God doesn't forget, and God will set things right. That's the prophetic voice. That's the prophetic voice. And now how about this from our reading this week? Woe to the complacent in Zion, lying upon beds of ivory, stretched comfortably on their couches. They drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the best of oils. Therefore, they shall be the first to go into exile, and their wanton revelry shall be done away with. That's <laughs> strong stuff, isn't it? Strong stuff. He's looking at the upper class, the wealthy. He's not critiquing, it seems to me, the wealth in itself. What's he critiquing? The indifference to the poor. You who are indulging yourselves when there are people at your doorstep who are starving, people at your doorstep who are thirsty, people at your doorstep with no education, people at your doorstep with no physical comforts. And there you are, indifferent to them. Woe to you, says this prophet. You will be the first to go into exile. We have a just God who longs to set things right. That's the prophetic voice. Now, can we hear this roaring up through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel? Yes, this voice of Amos comes echoing up through all the prophets. And, and, can we hear it in that great figure who happily claimed for himself the title of prophet. I'm speaking of Jesus. Listen from Matthew 25. Lord, when did we see you hungry and not feed you, thirsty and not give you to drink, naked and left you unclothed? I tell you, whenever you fail to do it for one of these least of my brothers, you fail to do it to me. That's the voice of Amos, isn't it? That's the voice of Amos, but now on the lips of Jesus himself. What's the test? What's the test of your religious conviction? It is precisely the way you treat those who are most immediately and concretely in need. How about this from the Lord Jesus? Go and learn the meaning of the adage, it's not sacrifice that I desire, but justice. That's the voice of Amos. That's the voice of Isaiah and Jeremiah, but now on the lips of Jesus. Your sacrifices don't mean that much to me. What matters to me is justice for the poor and the hungry and the widow and the orphan. We hear it, of course, in the gospel for this week. That still deeply troubling story of Lazarus and Dives. 
Lazarus, the poor man, the dogs licking his sores, reclining at the doorstep of Dives, the rich man. And the rich man could care less, indifferent to him. He goes right back to Amos. Bring us drinks. Take care of our needs. Give me more food. And at your doorstep is someone dying. And the Lord's parable still startling to us. This is displeasing to Almighty God. And the test of your religious conviction is how you handle the poor and the suffering. Does this Amos tradition come up through the prophets and into Jesus and then into the great Catholic tradition? Yes. John Chrysostom, who, by the way, in one of his most famous sermons, echoed Amos when he referred to the emperor's wife and her retinue as cows. He was echoing the prophet Amos. But John Chrysostom railed against the wealthy in his own time who were indifferent to the sufferings of the poor. Ambrose of Milan, the great fourth century bishop, who said, if you have two shirts, one belongs to you, the other belongs to the man who has no shirt. Thomas Aquinas, who said, the earth and all its goods belong to God. They are simply on loan to us to be used according to love and to justice. Leo XIII, the great pope of the 19th century, who said, once the demands of necessity and propriety have been met in your life, everything else you own belongs to the poor. Dorothy Day, who said, everything you do every day should be related to the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Mother Teresa, who said, you must serve Christ in his most distressing guise in the poor. All of these people are carrying on this great tradition of Amos the prophet. Read him again. Listen to him again. Hear his voice echoing in your heart. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.